Y'all, I want to tell you about one of my good friends, Sarah Turney's podcast, Voices for Justice. Sarah started Voices for Justice by discussing her own sister, Alyssa Turney's true crime case. And while Alyssa's case is now awaiting trial, she's covering other cases in need of justice. Sarah is not just a true crime host. She's an advocate who has firsthand experience investigating and advocating for victims and their family members in the true crime space. And Voices for Justice isn't just a true crime podcast. It goes beyond asking listeners to consume true crime. Each episode ends with an actionable step to help cases in need of justice. And Sarah doesn't just feature stories that need justice. She also features inspiring stories of survival or resolution to further give hope that there can be justice in these cases. Voices for Justice is an amazing podcast, and I'm not just saying that because I love Sarah. It was featured on Apple Podcasts' new and noteworthy category when it came out in 2018. It won the 2020 Discover Pods People Choice Award. It hit top 10 in all categories on Apple Podcasts and has over 6 million downloads. You can find Voices for Justice on your favorite podcast player. Previously on Murder in Alliance. And part of me feels like he would have been screaming this from the rooftops for a long time if that was really the case. What are the chances this kind man snaps because Yvonne just doesn't want to have sex with him? I mean, if I'm sitting here right now, I think that Joe had... I just don't know what to do. I don't know what to do. I feel like I got like really wrapped <laughs> up. I feel like I got emotional. I don't know. I feel really um, confused. This is emotional work. You're dealing with people's lives. That's I know. Normal. I feel really confused. This is Murder and Alliance, an active investigation into who killed Avon Lane. I'm Maggie Freeling. In August of this year, we finally had an interview scheduled with David Thorne, the man whose murder conviction had brought all us together in the first place. We were reeling from our interview with his supposed accomplice, Joe Wilkes, and could not wait to get back on the ground and talk to David to ask him to help us make sense of all this contradictory information we now had. So what, um, what is your plan of action? You know, it'll be just a lot of open-ended stuff and, and see what he's going to let us know about proactively. At the beginning of the season, I had said I'd never heard a bad thing about David. The image I've built up of David in my mind was of a nice, good-looking, 20-something guy who got along with his ex-girlfriend and wasn't violent by nature. But all of that was starting to come crumbling down. We now had police reports, friends and exes, all making allegations about his violence. In fact, a listener emailed saying she was screaming at the phone when I said David seemed like such a nice guy because she said she's from the area and was actually the one who called 911 the night David allegedly 
bashed in a woman's car window. We've, we've already found some things that aren't very flattering about David that were that he's never disclosed. I want to give him the opportunity to tell us things that we already know, just to see if he's going to be remotely forthcoming. Um, you know, I think there's a lot of questions that have never been asked of him. So we're going to have to ask him some of those. What are some of those? About who he was at the time. I don't want him to try to bullshit us. We wanted to know about the real David, not the candy-coated PG version. The honest truth. Good, bad, the ugly. The guys told him this point-blank in one of their conversations before the visit. Here's my thought. As we approach him, it's like if we were the prosecutors, knowing that this is coming, what would we be out doing to attack what investigators John and Maggie and Danny are coming up with right now? Yeah. Let's just pretend like this is a whole fresh start and gets put back in the uh, court grants a new hearing. If I'm a prosecutor, what am I out doing? I'm, I'm out talking to the same fucking people that they're talking to. Yeah, yeah. Basically, in order to help you, we need to know everything so nothing is a surprise. And we are ready to combat it if it goes back to court. And in total fairness, I never asked David some of this. I never point blank said, did you ever get violent with people? Maybe if I had, he would have told me about some of these incidents that have us so rattled. Maybe when the guys do ask those questions point blank, he will tell them the truth so we can all move past it and on to what's really important. Figuring out who truly murdered Yvonne Lane. So while driving to the prison, we laid out some of the questions we have related to the case. You know, maybe, you know, there's the whole question of obviously where was he that afternoon? There are two stories about what happened March 31st and April 1st. What David says happened and what law enforcement says. Yet both stories have some consistencies. Everyone agrees David got off work at 1229 the afternoon of March 31st. Between then, his time is technically unaccounted for, although David says he was at the pet store and cleaning out lion's cages. The prosecution says that this is when he was taking Joe to the mall to get the murder gloves and the hotel room. There's a receipt of Joe checking into the hotel at 1.46 p.m. and a receipt for the gloves at 1.47 Remember, someone from the hotel testified that the clock was off by a few minutes. Then at some point, David wound up at the Enox around 5 p.m. on the 31st with Joe and the lion cub. Remember, the Enox were the people Joe was staying with after he got kicked out of his girlfriends a few days earlier. And no one denies that this incident with the cub happened around 5 p.m. Then David goes to shoot fighting where he's accounted for. Everyone remembers him with the lion cub and he's back to Amy's and then home by midnight when we can see calls between David and Amy happening from their phone records. The next morning, David's at work by 6 a.m. and everyone agrees he took a break that morning. And this is where David's alibi comes in for the morning the prosecution said he picked up Joe. Remember, Joe called David's pager at 8.28 a.m. the morning of April 1st. That's not in dispute. However, David's time card says he only left work 
for a half an hour at 9 a.m., which David always pointed to as proof he couldn't have been picking up Joe. See, I couldn't have got him from the mall and then drove him all the way back to Ravenna, an hour drive back and forth without traffic. It just doesn't happen in a half hour. And also, David came back with warm Egg McMuffins for everyone. David said he was at the McDonald's drive-thru and they messed up the order. So to make up for their mistake, the workers give him the rest of the breakfast food because David said this was around the time they were closing breakfast. So he drove away with 15 sandwiches, which he took back to his co-workers, something everyone remembered about him returning. But then at trial, David's friend and boss, Charlie Toole, testified that David was actually gone on that break for longer than a half hour. He said he was gone for an hour to an hour and a half, returning around 10.15, 10.30. And when you read the trial testimony of Patricia Toole, Charlie's mom, she did the time cards. She said it was common practice she would just put a half an hour for a lunch break when she had to leave early before the guys took a break. This was one of those days. I, I need to get some explanation beyond the 30 minutes written on that time card because that's, that holds no water with me. I mean, so we'll ask him about that. So if Patricia Toole just wrote a half hour and it's not exactly how long David punched in and out, then we really have no idea how long he was gone. David said he left at 9, but McDonald's breakfast certainly ended somewhere around 10, 10.30. Even Sue, David's wife, told me it ended at 10 a.m. So if he left work at 9 and was at McDonald's towards the end of breakfast, that would mean he was gone for at least an hour. But Sue has always said that she spoke to Charlie Toole, and he told her the police coerced him to stretch the time to an hour, hour and a half. So we called Charlie to figure out what was going on. Y'all, I finally got my pair of Ana Luisa earrings that I ordered. And let me tell you, I am obsessed with these. I love Ana Luisa because their jewelry is affordable and sustainable. You can go to analuisa.com slash alliance to get 10% off using code alliance. That's A-N-A-L-U-I-S-A. Ana Luisa releases new jewelry collections every Friday. And if you don't find something this Friday, check back next Friday. So what I picked was a pair of tiny silver safety pin earrings. And I love this because my style is somewhere between punk and professional. So why not have a pair of high quality silver safety pin earrings that I can keep who I am but still look ready for business. Go to analuisa.com, that's A-N-A-L-U-I-S-A.com slash alliance to get 10% off using code alliance. Ana Luisa is carbon neutral. It's sourced sustainably and the quality is exceptional. Prices start at just $39. You truly can't beat this. Again, there's something for everybody. If I could find something for me, I bet you could find something for you. I cannot believe how many comments I've gotten on these earrings. They are not big statement pieces. They are tiny and chic, yet noticeable. And I've been so excited to tell people that they're from one of my sponsors. So if you want to support me, if you want to support this podcast, check out Ana Luisa using code Alliance at checkout to get 10% off. That's analuisa.com slash Alliance, code Alliance to get 10% off. 
Hello, is this uh, Mr. T Mr. Tool, Charlie Tool? I don't know who's this. <laughs> my, my name is John Harden. I am a, an investigator. Um, I work for an innocence project, and we get asked to investigate, reinvestigate crimes to see if we believe there's credence to somebody saying they're innocent in prison. So, as probably comes to no surprise to you, I've been asked to look you into this. Go ahead. I'm sorry. I, I'm not interested. Thanks. C could I ask you one question? That's all I need to ask. Yeah. Wow. He just hung up on you. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. So what does that mean? Means he doesn't want to get his fucking name involved. Another dead end. And I couldn't help but wonder if you believe your friend is innocent or if you lied for him and after all these years it's on your conscience, wouldn't you want to help? Unfortunately, at this point, it was up to David to give the guys everything he could. Tell them the truth, the whole truth, nothing but the truth, to help them help him. I do want him to not bullshit us with who he was back then. So if he, if he out of the gate, you know, tells us things that he was involved in, things that we know about, things that we don't know about, um, then I'll be more apt to listen to him as he's telling us things about this case. We arrive and the guys go in, again, leaving me in the car. And again, it was another few hours. So this time I took a joyride. The area around the prison is actually quite beautiful. And finally, they surface. As soon as Danny got in the car, he noted the seat and the mirror changes. I was driving. <laughs> She's like three feet tall, Danny. Of course it's gonna be different. Listen, I didn't move the other mirrors. I was really trying to be respectful of Danny's driving. You're fine, Maggie. You can get away with anything. Okay, so what happened? Tell me everything. You know, first of all, there was no sort of aha moment either way. No, anything that was revelation related feigned complete ignorance. And, and the subject changed really quickly. <laughs> so I made note of a couple of times where he didn't really know where we were going or what we were asking, all of a sudden the, the subject changed pretty quick. Now, John and Danny were able to take notes, which made this different from the Joe interview. And that's because John and Danny were able to secure an official legal visit with David, which meant that David had his attorney of record present and the guys were able to bring in notepads and pens. I guess we kind of started out with the timeline of the morning of... April 1st, and really just what motivation would the, you know, would the tools have for, you know, saying that he was gone for an hour and a half when he was only gone for a half hour. Now we did start talking, we talked about the time cards and he seemed to acknowledge that it was common practice for her to write 30 minutes down yeah. on those time cards. So, you know, that tells me I, that's perfectly believable. She had no reason to lie about that. Um, so the, the time card thing does nothing for me, for him establishing an alibi. 
because he, he himself just acknowledged, you know, that that was a common thing. What this means is that it was completely plausible for David to leave work, pick up Joe at the mall, and bring him home to the Enochs before going back to work. In fact, it's more than plausible. Patricia Toole said that not only did she automatically write 30 minutes, it doesn't mean he left for 30 minutes, but Patricia, her husband Dale, and her son Charlie all actually remembered David either saying a few days in advance or even that day that he had to leave around nine. And this was unusual. Everyone usually just came and went as they pleased and didn't need to inform anyone when they'd be leaving. You know, we reminded him that the tools liked his work and respected him. He said that he liked them. And so we were just trying to get at why would, what motivation would they have to stretch that timeline? And he, he really just didn't know. But he was like, I was definitely only gone a half hour. That's what he says. This is a blow for David's alibi for the time period in which prosecutors believe he picked up Joe the morning after Yvonne's murder. So where did he say he was the 31st when Joe says he was bringing Buying him to the mall? Buying fish. Right. That's what he told me. Buying fish. Yeah. Yeah. But we got him to acknowledge that that could have been a simple 10-minute process to go in and buy a bag of goldfish. Remember, David got off work at 1229, earlier than usual. But the morning of the 31st, he worked through his break so he could get off earlier. But after that 1229 clock out, David doesn't have a solid timestamp until around 4 p.m. when his grandfather testified, quote, David got home from work. So what was David doing from 1230 to 4 p.m.? David said he was buying fish and cleaning cat cages. The prosecution said David was helping Joe get a hotel room. He acknowledged that he would have left at noon that day but can't explain anything really again until he goes home to change clothes. However, David's grandpa said he was home by four when he saw him. So the guys continue their line of questioning and ask him about the rest of the day. Mainly, they want to know how David and Joe wound up together on the 31st, the exact night of the murder. Because remember, they were together around 5 p.m. in the Enox driveway with the lion cub. I'm trying to figure out how the fuck did you get to the Enoch? Right. So we're taking, you know, he's taking us through the day. And I was like, okay, well, just remember what you can, you know. And, and he wanted us to believe after the fish, filling the tank and feeding his big fish, cleaning out the dog pens. He said something about dog pens. Loading up the tiger. He, Josh was coming in to Amy's grandparents' house getting off work and he was going to paint it to where they were just going to go off to the karate studio. But no matter how many times or ways the guy said they asked, David left out a key point. And we're like, well, wait a second. You're in the Enoch's front yard with a fucking cat. How did that happen if Joe's just someone you pick up when you feel sorry for Right. Remember, David always said he was really only with Joe when he saw him around asking for a ride. He'd pick him up. But the police reports from the car window incident show that's not quite true. Joe was also there that night. So we know that they did, at times, hang out together. It wasn't just rides. He just wanted to minimize how much he knew Joe's life and how much he was around Joe. The tactic was to make sure he knew, we knew, 
you are with Joe the evening that Yvonne later dies. Yeah. That evening you were with Joe in the Enix front yard with a cat. Yeah. And I wanted him to know that you cannot escape that, right? Yeah. How did you get there? Because he kept minimizing, ah, Joe, we all... Oh, God, here he is walking down the street again. So once the guys pointed out he was with Joe, he then incorporated Joe back into the story. That's how he dances into, oh, Bob's Pizza. Then he goes and he's at at the drive-thru of Bob's Bob's Pizza, and he looks up and all of a sudden there's Joe waving at him and says, hey, you know, what are you doing? Oh, this is where I'm staying. Here's the driveway, pull in here. And he said, I had no idea that he was staying at the Enix. It was pure coincidence. However, Summer Enoch, Joe's friend, told the police that David had come to the house prior to the 31st. She said she met David at the house just a few days after Joe moved in. She said maybe the 28th or 29th. So according to Summer, David did know Joe was staying at the Enochs. So could all three Enochs be lying about these events? Or could David? And the reason I was going through the drive-thru was to get a soda to save it for later after shoot fighting. So, like, that was kind of weird, you know? Why are you picking up a soda that's going to sit in your fucking truck or whatever for five, six hours? (laughs) After, when he gets back in there, he's going to think, I fucked that up. Yeah, yeah. In the past, when David explained how he wound up with Joe, his official written-out timeline that Sue sent me was that he just saw him walking on Porter Road and picked him up. Could he have been confused? Sure. But it's hard for me to get past that if you're innocent, don't you know backwards and forwards the day that ruined your life? exactly to a T what you were doing, especially when you were brought into the police station two days later as a person of interest, it just doesn't make sense to me. I would have been racking my brain for every minor detail that could show my innocence. I know from past interviews that it's burned into the brains of other people who claim they're innocent. You know, we know memories aren't tape recorders, just... Tell us what you do remember. And and he left out the person that is responsible for him sitting in that jail. He completely, without prompting, he was not going to bring up the fact that he was with Joe at the Enix. Yeah. He didn't because he was given the opportunity. Yeah. This was also right before he said he got Subway with his girlfriend, Amy. Why wouldn't you get the fucking soda at Subway? Does Subway not have drinks back in 99? (laughs) I I don't know. Who knows why? For the record, he didn't specify what kind of soda, if you're wondering Subway didn't have that specific kind, so he had to get it at the drive-thru. I don't know. Then they asked David about what Sam Pegg said. Remember, she's one of Joe's best friends, and she told us Joe repeatedly told her before the murder that David wanted Yvonne gone. Y'all, it is fall, and that is my favorite time of year, not just because of the weather, 
but because of the food. And that's why I am here to tell you that HelloFresh has mouth-watering seasonal recipes you can get delivered right to your door. HelloFresh offers 50 menu and market items to choose from every week, from vegetarian meals to calorie smart choices to extra special gourmet options. There's something for everyone to enjoy. And this season, they have recipes like pumpkin cinnamon rolls and Friendsgiving ready sides, as well as fresh, high-quality ingredients that travel from the farm to your front door in less than a week. And as you already know, I love HelloFresh because I hate wasting food. So you get pre-measured ingredients so you don't have to buy in bulk and nothing goes to waste. Go to HelloFresh.com slash MIAMaggie14 and use code MIAMaggie14 for up to 14 free meals, including free shipping. That's an insane offer. There's no reason not to try it. HelloFresh is America's number one meal kit. So give it a shot. Get up to 14 free meals, including free shipping by going to HelloFresh.com slash MIAMaggie14 and use code MIAMaggie14. Y'all, summer is over and spooky season has arrived. So why not watch scary movies? And there is no better place for scary movies than Shudder. Shudder has kicked off its annual 61 Days of Halloween, a two-month supersized celebration full of new movies and series, like a new season of Creepshow and VHS 94 a brand new installment in the acclaimed found footage anthology franchise. I am a huge fan of VHS. You can stream great thrillers, horror, and suspense for $5.99 a month or $56.99 a year. But with my code MIA, you can try Shudder for free for 30 days if you go to Shudder.com and use promo code MIA. I've already gone on and tried it and I am absolutely obsessed. It's like the Netflix for horror movies and it, they have specials that you probably won't find anywhere else like Elvira's 40th anniversary. Very scary, very special special. If you're a horror fan, then you must try Shudder. Get started streaming the best horror thriller and supernatural content. Shudder's expertly curated collection includes must-see titles like Vicious Fun, The Mortuary Collection, and PG Psycho Gorman, plus all the best horror documentaries and the hit Creepshow TV series from executive producer Greg Nicotero of The Walking Dead. Try it for free for 30 days. Go to Shudder.com and use promo code MIA. That's S-H-U-D-D-E-R, promo code M-I-A. You know, some weeks leading up to the murder, Joe was saying that you were telling him that you wanted Yvonne gone. It's, I, I, and I said, a point blank, did that happen? No. That was the other place where I put in my notes, he said, no. And then he immediately goes into how pitiful Joe is. And so I, I wrote in my notes, change subject quickly, you know. And So the guys pivoted. So I said, okay, who were you before all of this happened, you know, and wanted to tell him to tell us good things, which he did only tell us good things. I was a great friend. I was loyal. You know, I, you know, I could be a little bit of a knucklehead, whatever. And so they're like, okay, well, what trouble did it? Was there any trouble? I got a few speeding tickets. Danny, you know, says, well, tell us about this broken window thing. And then he tells us about that. And, you know, we go on and, and 
well, what else? You know, what other kind of stuff did you get into? And, and ah, you know, and, and every fucking thing that we mentioned. Well, what about, you know, did you, did you kick somebody's door? Oh, yeah, I did that. That was a judge. He was drunk, you know, and... Um, it wasn't offering. We had to hit him with what we knew. Yes, and yes. Then once he knew we knew, then he'd, oh, yeah, that, that's true. Yeah, and it was like, okay, what else? Well, did you, uh, you know, Ever grab did you somebody's... grab somebody's lip? And Oh, yeah, I did do that. The guy said once they confronted him with the facts of what happened, he'd admit to it. But it was always someone else's fault that it happened. Everything. Like, it can't be always somebody exactly. else. Exactly. Every every altercation that we were able to pull out of him, it was somebody it else's fault. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know, I, I, I just kind of key in on it was really something to me that... We gave him plenty of opportunities, like, dude, good, bad, or ugly, you know, tell us what what your life was like, what you were involved in, any trouble you got in. I got a few speeding tickets. And that was all he was going to say. I mean, he, he didn't volunteer a single thing, did he, as far as, like, any of those incidents? What you're saying is we were having to educate him to get the answers we wanted him to give us. I'm going to play chunks of the conversation we had, but know that we were driving and the background noise changes from one moment to the next. Everything that we got out of him was because we knew ahead of time what these accusations were. He did not volunteer a motherfucking thing. It's like prosecutors are taught. Never ask a question that you don't already know the answer to. Yeah, yeah. That's what we did. And only because we asked did he give it. Yep. Only. He was going to leave it as I got a few speeding tickets. That was that. That's where he wanted to leave it. That was his answer. Yeah. And we even let a let a, a, a pause sit there for a little bit where nobody said anything like, God, I wish I saw that. Are you, are you going to, are you going to say more? You know? And, and he didn't. What about shooting at the car? Yeah, I did do that. Remember the allegations from his ex-girlfriend, Angie, from last episode? Only one time. Only one time. She hobbled down the road. And it was my car. Um, But he he denied choking her. He denied um, pulling her hair and hitting her head into the steering wheel. Did he seem, like, surprised? Like, what did he... I think he was surprised by it. He denied it all. I felt deflated. But this time, I have to say, I was ready for it. There was no more crying or feeling sorry for myself and everyone involved. So I asked the guys for the truth of how they felt after the interview. Well, you know, when you leave an interview and you feel like you've shared more information than the person who's fighting for their life, there's a reason behind that. And we Is there or is he an idiot? Could be. I mean, you know, David's a charismatic guy and, and a slick talker. But I'm not going to say that he's a brain surgeon, you know. He's smart enough to know that his words, he doesn't want his words to hurt him. Mm -hmm. And he's careful and selective. He's only going to share with you what he thinks you already know. Because, you know, I don't know. Well, are you picking up on these David Koresh vibes? I I picked up on this vibe 
when he is processing his response, he does eye flutters. He smiles a little. There's a look on his face. It's head. a way for him to express minimization. Yeah. The flutter and the grin, he's not having to make direct contact with someone because I feel like that's his way of handling uncomfortable or sensitive discussions. He, he did it throughout that interview because it was so, by the first 10 minutes, 20 minutes, it was so obvious to me that as things, first 20 minutes we were talking about prison. Yeah, yeah, prison how is daily life? But as we started engaging in sensitive areas and I watched his facial mannerisms, and I was like, it's almost like watching someone on a polygraph on a control question and then a, 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 a rational question, right? I mean, it's easy to say, yes, my name is Danny, or, or yes, I'm from Austin, Texas, or whatever. But then, did you kill her? It was the same way when we got into sensitive areas, his, his head would drop a little bit, his eyes would flood, his blinking was delayed, and he would grin as he gave this, oh, that's no big deal kind of answer. Did you notice it like that, John? Yeah, I did. I did. Well, so you're saying that's weird? But to tell could not refute our suspicions. I mean, he couldn't. Yeah. From the time card, and we says, let's just forget about the knife, the time card, and all these. Says, our biggest issue is we can never detach Joe from Yvonne's house, and we know that at five o'clock that night, you were with Joe. As shitty as he was, as messed up as his life was, at five o'clock, you were in the front yard of the home he was living in, showing off a tiger and a few hours later she's dead that's our problem yeah and what did he say he had nothing he said nothing he had nothing yeah i had hoped that when the guys met david he would convince them he'd fight for his life with everything he had to prove his innocence he would be an open book and he would be desperate to tell them everything but that doesn't seem like what happened at all. You know, I don't want to make it all sound bad and horrible or anything like that, but listen, there, the overall thing was not, not really good. He knows what's happening right now. He knows that he's got to be forthcoming. We've, I made that clear to him from the very beginning. I had the same conversation that I have with everybody we're looking at. If you're lying to us, we'll find out. We're going to drop you. And, and and we told you that from the beginning. We can't do it if you're going to be like that. And it never would have even come up. He would have, you know, had, had the three of us not been on the ground and learned what we learned. There's part of me that wants to take up for Joe. If in my heart of hearts I believe that David had something to do with it, part of me wants to take up for Joe because... Everybody believes in David, and Joe's the bad guy. And if David had something to do with it, that's completely unfair to Joe. And then, y'all know what's next. There's always a final bombshell. The guys told me some information that absolutely floored me. David always gave me the impression he didn't know about Yvonne's sex work until trial. But then I saw Amy's grand jury statements saying David told her, quote, Yvonne had a drug problem and was a prostitute, quote. 
and David's grandfather telling the grand jury, quote, she was a high-priced call girl. So I circled back to David. How could people in his life know about the sex work if he himself hadn't told them about it or if he himself didn't even know? He said, okay, he did know, but only after they broke up. It seemed we were both confused. So I never could get a clear answer. But I never really thought it was particularly important, just odd. So I let it be. But because it was odd, I mentioned it to the guys. And they figured if it was odd to me, maybe it meant something. So they asked David. Sex work and stuff. Oh, he knew all about that. He, he took her to he took her to West Virginia because she was going to be an escort at these things. So he what knew the it. fuck? Um, knowing full well. Knowing full well that's what she was going to do. But yes, he was like, yeah, just like, oh, I know what she's doing. I'm just going to drop her off. Just get it out of my mind. Yeah. The guy said that he told them he knew exactly why she was going. And when they asked how he felt about it, he explained that he just had to put it out of his mind and move on. It was as clear as day to John and Danny that David knew about Yvonne escorting, that he drove her to these places and knew exactly what she was doing. And remember, this is what David told me. What did you think she was doing when she was going to the conventions? She said something that she got a, an office job and she was going to a convention for something. I, I don't. I don't recall what it was, but to be honest, it was only half paying attention to what it was that she was even talking about for a job. Yeah. So then why did he lie to me? We You'll have to ask him that. <laughs> I don't know. And so I did. Coming up next time on Murder in Alliance. I told him, I said, I don't know exactly what time that I was there. Other than that, I never said I wasn't there. David, you had to have thought about that day a million times. That's the day that put you in prison. Whether David put Joe up to it or not, finding the nugget that gives David a chance is just getting harder and harder to find. I mean, we've turned over enough stones to where there's only a few left. And if there's nothing under the remaining stones, well... They had to pull information out of you. Yeah, but I don't know what it is that you want me to say to you unless you ask me the question. The timeline of your day. They said, what is the timeline of your day? You know you're at the Enoch. Why didn't you put that in your timeline? If Chris Campbell stands by the story, if Sam stands by the story, do you have contemporaneous and continuing verification? And then we have a hidden domestic violence situation, which was violent. Holy shit. Y'all, if you like this show, please consider joining the Unjust and Unsolved Patreon. It shows how much you care and helps us continue to tell these stories. Plus, you get some awesome bonus episodes, Q&As, and events as a thank you. And please, please rate and review. The more reviews, the more attention, and the more likely we're going to get tips and leads and the right ears will be reached. Murder in Alliance is produced and reported by me, Maggie Freeling, with editorial consulting from Amber Hunt. Aaron Case is our legal intern, and Bob Mallory is our engineering assistant. For more information and resources, go to murderinalliance.com. 
You can find Murder and Alliance on Twitter and Instagram at murder underscore alliance and join the discussion on Facebook at Unjust and Unsolved Podcast Discussion Group. Murder and Alliance is a production of the Obsessed Network. You can find all their shows at obsessednetwork.com. 